talking about Better Together. This is part eight, lesson number eight on a series I'm doing about protocols for being in a local church, what it looks like to relate to other people who are unlike you in so many ways, unlike you in nationality, unlike you in personality, unlike you in how they do life, unlike you in the way they do family. But how many know God's called us to love each other? So we're just talking about, and the title of this is Better Together. I've actually been on this same set of notes. This is the third time because there's so much here. So First uh, Timothy 3 says this, 14, I'm writing these things to you, the Apostle Paul said, even though I hope to be with you soon so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the, tr- of the truth. So we've been talking about protocols for conduct as believers together. A lot of things we've shared, they're on, they're on YouTube, they're on our website. The notes are there. Make sure if you haven't heard some of this, go back and listen. It's there. It's yours for the, yours for the grabbing. So uh, I've been talking in this, uh, uh, the last three times, um, uh, uh, how we relate to each other. How many know it's the love of God that should motivate everything we do? We've talked about that the last two times. We're encouraged. There's all through the New Testament, the, the number one protocol for believers. And the first thing that should be in our minds when we relate to someone else, we should ask ourselves this question. Do I love people? people with God's love or a selfish human love? That's, that's what we should ask ourselves. Everybody loves, but not everybody has this godly, unconditional, self-sacrificial love that, that God has given us when we're saved. Jesus said, John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I've loved you, so you have, are to love each other. Uh, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's not Bible reading, church attendance, uh, activities. It's how we treat others. It's this love that's the telltale sign that we're different. So I ask myself, is there enough love in my life, God's love, unselfish love, that people on the job, people in my family, where I'm going home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and around people that don't see me a lot or they haven't seen me in a while, would they say, hmm, there's something different? And uh, is there enough to convict you of being a believer? So love is the protocol. How many hear me? Uh, then 1 John three fourteen, we know we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother or sister, talking about fellow believer, abides in death. And then 1 John four sixteen through 18, we know how much God loves us and we've put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And then verse 17 says, and we, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect or mature. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows we have not been, we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So it's the love of God that we should be after in the way we relate to one another. And you know, human personality uh, is develops in an atmosphere of love. And I've talked about this in weeks past as I've covered this. You know, God created Adam and then from his body pulled Eve and created marriage. And from that marriage and from Adam and Eve's love for one another, they bore children. And God's original plan for the development of human personality was that we develop in an atmosphere of unconditional, self-sacrificial love. If you can get into that atmosphere, 
your personality can bloom and blossom and you can thrive. And the problem is most of us aren't raised in that kind of atmosphere. Often, and, so, and so when we're born again, let me summarize, when we're, when we're saved, how many know the love of God is placed in our hearts? Romans 5, Romans 5, 5 says, by the Holy Spirit. That gives us a new ability to treat people a different way. How many have experienced that to one degree or another? How many want more of it? Here's the problem. God places a supernatural ability above the natural ability in us to relate to other people and to love the unlovely, to love people who don't treat us well, to love our enemies, to love people we might not even like. Isn't that great news? But he gives, he places it inside. But see, that love's often hijacked. And I, I just, I don't even want to say this. Can I get real? Sometimes I've been treated worse by believers than I have that people don't even know the Lord. Yes or no? I don't visit bars, but I know people that have and do. And I've watched TV programs. And you know, there's some brotherly love up there. Do you know that? Even in a bar. People love each other, right? But I've been treated worse sometimes by, by people that, uh, that uh, uh, know the Lord versus those that don't. So what does that tell you? Love can get hijacked. So there's a, a verse, Deuteronomy 6. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, the Shema. And this is uh, known by all Jewish people. Uh, and God gave them some instructions on how to train their children. Uh, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you. Then he said, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God gave specific instruction to his Old Testament folk, the Israelites, your home atmosphere should be all about me. Talk about me when you get up. Talk about me when you're doing your stuff at home. Talk about me when you're going to get groceries, when you're going to school, when you're on the way to work, when you're going places. Let your children see what I'm like by being who I am and acting like me. You get around me, mama and daddy, and you rub off on your children. How many know that's really important? Yes or no? And so the problem is home, you've heard this adage, home is where the heart is. And so our personalities develop in a home setting. Most children, their personalities are developed by age five. And so the proclivities that you have to act a certain way, to react a certain way, to respond a certain way, the way you think about yourself, most of those kinds of things are set by age five or six. So how many know it's all important, mom and dad, grandparents, care providers, Watch what you're doing around your children. We learn three ways. Observation, association, influence. My kids never do what I say. They do what I do. If you want to know what I'm like, go hang out with my kids. Yes or no? If I want to know what you're like, I'll go hang around your kids. Because the way they talk, the way they respond... The way they treat others has a lot to say about what's happening at home. So how many know parents? We need to shore it up. They got all kinds of influences at school and our culture. It's, I mean, it's in the potty right now. It's bad. And you know what? They need stuff at home. So again, um, uh, and so home life is where we become who we are. And, and that often 
uh, sets our personality. And then when we come to Jesus, those experiences that we've had hijack the love of God and keep us from acting in ways that we know we could if, if, if things were different. So I want to kind of show you how that works. So I've got in my notes, I added something to it. Most people are raised in atmospheres in the home, atmospheres which are a mixture of love, fear, control, manipulation, and selfishness. Yes or no? You know, it was a grow-up day for me when I had to get real. There is no perfect home. There's no perfect family. I, ha- I was raised in a Christian home, but as I aged and, and really uh, got real with me, I had to be honest and say mom and dad weren't perfect. They didn't do everything perfectly. They didn't communicate perfectly, yada, yada, yada. And so I had to, I had to deal with some things in my own life because of that, and all of us do. So as we go through our experience in God, what God wants to do is get close enough to us and let us get quiet enough that he can put his finger on some things that, that we're allowed to fester and become a part of our personality that hinders his best in us today. How many hear what I'm saying? So a couple, uh, last time I was here, uh, we talked about a book called Search for Significance. And there are four um, false beliefs that arise out of just living in a fallen world and having a home that's not perfect because none of us are perfect because the human race how many know the human race is sinful at the core because of that we inherit sin and because we all inherit sin there are no perfect families and so that first ideal that God has for us to be raised in a home environment filled with unconditional love immediately it was skewed and flawed even before Adam and Eve had their first child they were expelled from the garden of Eden in Genesis 3 before they had their first child which tells you all of us are tainted with mis- with wrong ideas about how to treat how to think about ourselves how to treat others how to communicate well and that's why we get in the word because God God teaches us, and the Word shows us how we're to treat one another. Yes or no? So, I, um, I want to go from that and, and just talk to you. So, I talked about those four um, false beliefs. Those who fail or are unworthy of love deserve to be punished. If you weren't here, I can't go over it again. Number two, I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. Get on the website, check it out. Third false belief, I must be accepted by others to feel good about myself. These are huge. I talked about them last time in detail. Number four, I am what I am. I can't change. I'm hopeless. How many know all four of those are wrong? And we've got a book that we um, use here called Search for Significance. It's actually a small group. I encourage you, go through that. Billy Graham said every believer ought to do it. So I want to talk to you about over how to overcome your personal dysfunction and... Um, uh, I've got in my notes, it says here, broken homes result in broken relationships. How many know that's true? So I'm talking about how, how do I learn to love people? How, how do I learn to get over the things that keep me from being the person that pe- can be kind, loving, loving, considerate, thoughtful, patient, understanding, a good communicator? How many know we can get over those things? So let me talk to you. Tonight I want to talk about a siege mentality and just get right to the point. I was raised by a Christian mother and father. 
And how many know um, that we observe not only things within our home, but there are also exterior influences as you go to school, you relate to other people, and just the circumstances that you find yourself in in life, you know, they imbue themselves and they, and they, and they, they come into our lives and they affect us and make us what we are. So um, uh, I started school uh, at age five. Most people started school at age six when I was young. I don't know what they do now, but uh, so I was behind everybody in age already. And then uh, sixth grade, I, uh, I went from sixth grade to eighth grade because, um, uh, because I scored really high on an SAT test in the sixth grade. And I took two grades in one. So, uh, so that put me a couple of years behind everybody in my class. When I started school, um, there were some dynamics that caused uh, inferiority in me that was really, really deep, and it stayed with me through my teenage years on into my adult world, my adult life. When I was five years old, started school, my, mother, my, my father's most practical man in the world, he, uh, he would buy my clothes at least two sizes too big because I was growing really fast. So I had to roll my britches up and make sure my belt's tied or my pants would fall down. You get it? And then he would cut my, he wouldn't take me. I never went to a barber shop uh, before I was 15 years old. My dad cut my hair. Let me just say, when I had hair, I didn't want my dad touching it. And he did. And I didn't like it. So those kind of things created something in me. And then my body grew up and my feet grew out before my body grew up. So at, at, fifth, at, at fifth grade, I got size 13 shoes. I have to order my shoes out of the J.C. Penney catalog because no store you go in has size 13 back then. They do now, but not then. So anyway, so all of that created in me an inferiority. And then when I got around people that were older than me in school, I'm the last dude to get picked when we're playing ball at recess, you know. And, and I'm not around people a lot. We live in the country, called it in the country. Y'all know what in the country is? I live in the country, so I'm, I'm accustomed to re- being around my dogs and 21 cats. No kidding. No kidding. Okay? And, uh, so, so, and, and then here's what I thought about people. People are mean. People don't treat you right. People aren't fair. People say things about you that are unkind. People do things just to take advantage of you. People, people aren't nice. And then when I got home, I'm thinking, I like my dog, my cats. I go out in the forest and I spend a lot of time by myself as a child because of my circumstances. All that kind of played into a rejection syndrome that was par none. I, I felt like nobody in the world liked me, would accept me. How I ever succeeded, it was just the grace of God. Graduated high school, age 16, was going to be an electronics engineer. God called me to preach age 18. Fast forward, I'm in ministry. Fast forward, I started my first church age 30, okay? And so I started a church from nothing in a small town. If you want to find out what's inside of you, go to a real little town where everybody knows everybody and try to start a church that's not a denominational church. You will find out what's in you real quick. And so that scenario played out in me preaching. Now, back in the 80s, I preached three times a week, three different messages. Do you know how much studying that is? That's a lot. 
And so Sundays, I've got Sunday morning, Sunday night. I got two different series I'm carrying, so I'm studying like nuts. I'm talking to people all the time. So Monday comes in this rejection thing that I assume because of my, what I observed as a child, it just kind of blossomed up and said, hello. And I found out that I felt like nobody loved me, people didn't like me, people didn't care about me, and people are out to get me. So I would preach on Sundays. And then Mondays was a terrible day. Every Monday I wanted to quit. Now why did I want to quit? Because my mind was telling me, you know, you remember how so-and-so looked at you? They didn't like what you said. And you know what? They're probably telling everybody else behind your back. How many know if you live that way, that's a miserable way to live? How many get it? And so my mind did that with this person, this person, this person, this person. And I noticed the pattern. I'm 30 years old thinking, man, God, what in the world's going on with me? You call me to preach, but I can't deal with this. What is going on? Let me backtrack a little bit. Several years prior to that, God placed me. I was in a large church in Oklahoma, 5,000 people in the church. I'm one of the big staff members over a major area of ministry and, uh, and uh, even before that, let me backtrack before that, before I even got that position, I was a janitor in the church and I, I had my name tag here and I had my, my light blue shirt and dark blue pants and I'm the janitor of the church and, and this church was in a ritzy section of town and we had doctors, um, uh, attorneys, business people, professional people that mostly attended that church. And here is a thought of me, Peon Mitch, hanging out with all these big dogs. Do you know how it made me feel? And during that time, God gave me a word, 1 Corinthians 4, 3, it matters very little to me. What you or any man thinks of me, I don't even value my opinion of myself. Let me tell you what God will do. God sometimes will put you in the middle of a spot that will reveal your flaws and then have you stay there and let him deal with you in the middle of it. So I stayed there in that church for six years on staff. I graduated from being a janitor to being on staff. But those dynamics were still there and they were subtle. I didn't realize how deep they were till I started that church. And every Monday I had a mental battle. These people don't like me. People don't care about you. Nobody loves you. Everybody rejects you. And I'm reading everybody's face on Sunday morning, Sunday night. And my mind is interpreting for me Monday that people don't like me. People don't care. Why are you here? You just need to quit. And I said, God, something is wrong. And uh, it went week after week after week after week. And I said, God, there's something going on here. And you're obviously trying to teach me something. So what do I need to do? So here's what I started doing. Mondays, I started calling people. It got so bad. I started calling people. And I called this person because I remember their face on Sunday. And it looks like I thought they were upset with me. And I wouldn't tell them. I never revealed my thoughts. I just would call people out of the blue. Hey, how you doing? Just want to say hi. Blah, blah. And just carry on some conversation. And I would carry on enough conversation to figure out whether or not they were thinking what my mind was telling me they were thinking. You know what I found out? A hundred percent of the time, it was wrong. And you know what shocked me? My mind and emotions can tell me something that is absolutely not true, and I can believe it. And you know what it did? It scared me. I mean, y'all, it scared me. It's like, you mean I can't even trust my own thoughts? 
I can't even trust my own mind. Why? Because things sepsis got in. Poison got in from my upbringing and, and from my judgments on what happened to me as a child. And they stayed with me all of those years. And they really, you know, they matured when I became, you know, in my, my mid-20s, uh, 30 years old. Here I am, 30. So I said, God, how, how do, what do I do with this? How do, how do I deal with this feeling that nobody loves me, nobody cares, people are rejecting me because it's everywhere I go. And I noticed, then I noticed a pattern in my life that I, when I walked in a room, I immediately would just size people up. And I would look at their faces, I would look at their body language. Now let me tell you, here it is all these years later, you know, I can use that to the positive, I can read people real well. How many hear me? Now, don't get spooky. It's not spooky. It ain't, it's not like that. But I can read whether people are getting it or not. I can tell when I'm ministering to a crowd whether the crowd is getting it or not, whether I'm off or I'm over their head or whatever, just by the experiences I had in my young life. But, but I, so I say, God, how can I deal with this? Because I'm going anywhere I go, this rejection thing's strong. And here's what I learned I had to do. I couldn't trust my own thoughts, my own feelings, about my relationships with people because they were skewed because of my past. How many have ever had to deal with anything similar to that? For you, it may not be rejection. It may be anger. Or maybe you're too forward. Maybe, maybe you're arrogant and you don't even realize it. Maybe you put your opinion when you're in a crowd and you're so strong that you've got to put yours out there and it's all because of things that happened way back when and you don't realize people are thinking, would you just hush up a minute? And this pride thing, you know, we're blind to our own stuff. How many know it's true? Well, mine was the opposite. It was rejection and inferiority. So, so God gave me a plan. So here's what I had to do. Week after week, I'd preach 30 years old, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, same scenario. My mind's telling me people don't care about me. People don't like me. People have rejected my ministry, yada, yada. And uh, I called enough for several weeks to figure out it wasn't true. So every Monday, here's what I decided to do. I found out that uh, reading the Old Testament, you'll find out that uh, when armies were, when an ar enemy army wanted to take over a city, they would siege. Everybody say siege. S-I-E-G-E. Siege. A city. Cities in the Middle East uh, were built with walls around them to keep out uh, animals and keep out the enemy. They didn't have modern armament and weaponry like we do today. And so a big tall wall with uh, wide enough on the top that a person, a sentry, a watcher could look out the perimeter of the whole place, the whole city, and, and the city could be protected by a wall. So if an enemy wants to take over a city, you know what they do? They cut off the supply lines to the city by a siege. Sometimes a siege would take several years. If you've got a huge city with thousands of people, lots of food, lots of, lots of water, lots of goods, lots of stuff, it takes a while for that to deplete. So the enemy just camps around the city, breaks the supply lines, and then the city's left to fend for itself. And eventually, water supplies may get low. Eventually, food supplies will get low. Eventually, raw materials to make clothing and other things, they get low in the cities in dire straits. And, and eventually, white flag, we give up, or the enemy uh, jumps over the wall because everybody's too weak because they don't have enough food. How many get it? So the siege mentality was in view in cities in the Middle East, the Bible uh, area where the Bible was was uh, the Bible lands, the siege mentality was there. So I thought, well, you know, what if I siege my mind? And I started doing that. 
what I did, I broke the supply line to these thought patterns that told me that nobody loved me, nobody cared about me, nobody accepted me. And I got that scripture that God gave me several years before. It matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. And when my, I got up on Monday mornings after preaching on Sunday, you know what I said? I said, God, you know what? I just thank you that... I don't care what other people think. You love me, number one. I'm accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1, I think it's verse 4 and 5. I'm accepted by you. And if I'm accepted by you, that's what matters the most. And not everybody's going to love you. I know that. So you know what, Father? Those that you've called to walk with me in ministry, those you've called me to minister to, Lord, those are the ones that are going to be my gang of brothers and sisters and friends and such. And I just talk to myself. And I talk myself, I talk myself into believing what God said about me and what God said about others. Then I went to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I gave these out several weeks ago. If you didn't get one of these, I'm going to have the ushers give them out in just a minute. But I went to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and I inserted my name everywhere everywhere the word love is, and I, re, I reprogrammed my thinking to be patient, to be kind, to believe the best of others, and to do what love says. And I want you to know, um, it took a while, uh, 21 to 28 days starts the formation of a new habit, about a month. If you can do something for about a month, you're starting to form a new way of living. For me, the way I got over that rejection thing is about a month I started doing this and then it started catching on. Here it is all these years later with the siege that I had to enact towards my emotions and my thoughts. I would literally say, Father, I thank you that I love that person. When my mind told me so-and-so doesn't like me, so-and-so doesn't care, blah, 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 rejects me. I'd say, Father, I thank you that I love them. I pray for that person. I started praying for the person. I started saying, God, I believe the best of them. I don't believe that's true. And then, you know, time showed that it wasn't true and that my mind wasn't telling me the truth. Now, all these years later, that pattern is pretty much broken in my life. I can't tell you 100% because every once in a while, if, if I get around certain kinds of personalities or people, I can feel that try to creep up, but I know what to do now. I just keep the siege on. How many hear me? So what are you wrestling with? For you, maybe it's anger. Maybe for you, maybe it's a self-centeredness. Maybe you're accustomed to always getting your way, and when you don't get your way, you make a fuss. And maybe it's an automatic thing that cuts on. Or maybe in conversation you control the atmosphere and you control other people and you get away from conversation, you get away from relationship and you say, man, I shouldn't have said, you ever done? I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted that way. But if you do it over and over again, there's a problem, guys, because the number one thing that should be in life is the love of God. How many hear me? Y'all getting something out of this? So for you, it may be fear. For you, it may be jealousy. Maybe you're a jealous person. Maybe you find yourself jealous at every turn, jealous of your friends, not wanting other people to be as close to them as you are. It could be a thousand things. What is it for you? What are you wrestling with? Siege it. Like I had to siege my thoughts and my emotions to overcome this rejection thing. All of us have something to deal with. What was your family life like? There's a lot of people, you know what I found out? If you're afraid of people, you won't talk. A lot of people put walls up. If you've been hurt by somebody else, 
If there's an authority figure in your life that's not giving you, not giving you space, maybe mom and dad, maybe you had a controlled environment in your home. If you're raised in a, 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 an environment where there's a controller, how many know what I mean by a controller? There's one strong personality that dominates everybody else in the home. You know what that'll make you feel like? I better keep my mouth shut. And you know what you'll do when you get around people? You won't do anything. You won't talk. You know what happens in church life when that happens? You come into church and just like, well, you can't talk. You can't say anything. Why? Because you've been programmed that, that what you say doesn't matter. That what you say is not valuable because of, of the things you've dealt with in your past. How many hear me? So see, we've got thousands of things. There's all kinds of things that you can be dealing with. My encouragement tonight is siege. Find out what you need to siege in your life so you can have better relationships with the people around you. How many hear me? Here's one thing as I close. I went to 1 Corinthians 13, and this was in my young years. I've been with Jesus 42 years this year. I'm into my 43rd year in Jesus. And, uh, you know, when I, I, don't, I bought an Amplified Bible in 1976, I think. And, um, and I started reading the Amplified Bible, I, I, and for some reason I came across 1 Corinthians 13. And then I found that verses 4 through 7 are classic in explaining the ingredients of that love that God has placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that love that other people should be able to see that identifies us as believers. And I was drawn to that for some reason, and I began to read it over and over and over. And I'm going to read this from the uh, classic Amplified New Testament, Love Endures Long. Now, here's what I did. I read this, and I would just sit and think about it for periods of time. Love endures long and is patient and kind. And I would think, does Mitch endure long? Nope. No, sometimes I just shoot off at the mouth pretty quick. Hmm, I think I might need to change that. Love endures long and is patient and kind while it's enduring. Some people endure long, but man, they're belly aching while they do it. And they let everybody know they are really unhappy. I mean, not only with their words, but with their body language and with the noises you can make with slamming stuff. I ain't happy. What's wrong with you? You need to change. Love endures long. And it's patient and kind. I would sit that, sometimes just that one phrase, and I sit there for a while. What do I need to do to endure long? Am I enduring long? And I think about my friends. I think about my family, my brothers. I think about my cousins. I would think about the people I'm in a relationship with on the job. Am I enduring long when they do things I don't like? And often I would have to say I'm not, and I say, God, would you change me? How many know that's how you read the Bible? Uh, and it's patient. Am I patient? No, no, I'm not patient at all. Kind. Sometimes, but often I'm not. Sometimes I'm short. God had, had to say, God, would you please change me? Here's what I started doing. Lord, I'm not that. Would you change me? Lord, when I get in the environment where I'm tested, where people aren't oppressing me and they're not doing what I like, would, would you, would, would the Holy, I ask you, may the Holy Spirit rise up in me and give me, give me an ability to work on this thing. And you know what happened time after time after time? He began to deal with me, deal with me, deal with me. And how many know he's still dealing with me? And that's how it works. So he says, love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. Oh boy, I had to deal with that. It's not boastful, vainglorious. How many know we want everybody to know about our toys? Kids like you to see their toys, see their stuff. Know what they, look mama, look what I can do. Look how fast I can run. 
I bought Jonathan some shoes one time, and uh, he put those things on and said, Dad, watch! He ran down the, he run down the you know, sidewalk in the front of the house. He ran down the hall. I got him a tricycle one time. Watch how fast I can go on my truck. And that's what we do. We just don't grow up. Look at my car. Look at my stuff. Look at my clothes. Look at my shoes. Look at my, look at my, look what I can do. Look at my skill. Look at my ability. How many know God wants us to humble ourselves, right? Love does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly how many know our world today needs to see this how many know americans have become rude acting unbecomingly towards one another you all you got to do is go to a store and wait in a line that's a little bit too long <sighs> what's wrong with that cashier i mean just everything you know love god's love in us doesn't insist on its own rights or its own way for it's not self-seeking how many times have you heard, well, well, you know what? If you can't do it this way, I'm just going to leave. I'm just, gonna, I'm just out of here. I quit. I'm not going to be a part of this organization. Yeah? I'm almost done. Just give me a moment. It's not touchy, fretful, or resentful. How many know love isn't touchy? That means if, some, if people around you got to walk on eggshells, have to tiptoe, Make sure they have the right nuance in their voice as they're speaking to you or you get offended, then you are a person who is controlled by the flesh. That's real good, isn't it? Love is not touchy, fretful. I don't know why they have to keep doing that. No, love doesn't do that. Love is not resentful. I'll never forget what so-and-so said. You know what? I'm going to quit going to that church because that person said that. You know what? I'm not going back to that class. I'm not going back to that small. I've never stepped my foot in that small group again. I'm not going to volunteer there anymore because so-and-so did so-and-so. How many know that's called resentment? How many know that's called sin? How about self-centeredness? Oh, it's quiet here. Jeez, Takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered uh, wrong. Now that's the gauge of love. When I'm paying attention to what people have done that I don't like and I'm thinking about that more than the good things about them, I'm not loving them. Yes or no? How many know I'm stepping on everybody's toes, including mine? How many know this is the gauge of love? This is growth. We're talking about grow Sunday mornings. We're going to get into this in the thick because this shows where you are spiritually. Love bears up under anything. And everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Wow. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. As I close tonight, I could go on this a long period of time, but I've run out of time. But I've said enough. How many see some things in your life you need to siege? Yes or no? See, there's still things in me I have to siege. And, you know, I can say over the, even, listen, I, can I be real? Even over the past year, just in dealing with my staff team and dealing with leadership things and dealing with our church and making changes, there's some huge things in me that I've had to change. And when I get in group situations, you know, I've had issues of wanting to dominate, wanting, what, wanting my will, not your will to be done. And I've had to deal with those kinds of things. And I've had to siege myself. And I've had to say, God help me change. But how many know if you're growing in God, God's always talking to you about you 
and how you relate to other people, yes or no? So my encouragement is, take these scriptures, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, find out what you need to see. While I'm talking, you probably already got something in your mind. Yes or no? How many can say God's already talking to me about something? Raise your hand. I want to hear it. Raise your hand. See, that's most all of us. Well, me too. Me too. So I want to encourage you. Don't just come tonight and hear this. I promise you, if you'll put this into practice in a month's time, you can start breaking some habit patterns. Maybe in conversation, you get upset a lot. You know, you can break. There's a reason for that. But if, you, if somebody's opinion differs from yours and it makes you angry and upset that they don't agree with you, that's a problem. How many know we need to love and appreciate other people? Yes or no? Well, how many need a, uh, one of these sheets? I gave these out a couple of weeks ago. How many need one of these? Ushers, can you help me? Y'all come on out. Yeah, there you, well, ushers are just people. You're a people, that works. You're a people. You're a people. If you need them, raise your hand. There you go. We got some more people. There we go. Yeah. Now, what this is, is, uh, you know, it's 1 Corinthians 13. I've got some more up here if we need them. Anybody else want to give some out? All right. So that's 1 Corinthians 4 through uh, 7. That's different translations kind of amalgamated into one. I'm not kidding. Y'all get this thing and do something. Put your name in the blank. And if you'll read it slowly every day. Everybody make eye contact with me. Y'all, I've taken this sheet. I've gotten on my knees. Closed the door in the room. Got on my knees. And read that thing. Say, God, there's stuff you got to change in Mitch. And I put my name where those blanks are. And y'all, I, I promise you, it'll do something inside of you. Over a period of time, you'll become a different person. A person that other people don't mind being around. How many would like that? How many would like to have good relationships with everybody? Now, some people are going to be cantank- so cantankerous or cantankerous enough, they're going to try to test you. That's a, yeah, that just happens with life. You go home for Thanksgiving. You go home for Christmas. Stuff's going to happen. 